play another song. And what I want us to do is actually come. But I want us to take a few minutes. She's going to play a song, and I want her to play it completely through of her choice. And I want us to bow our heads and step into the presence of the Lord. We need to do that.
Sunday has already started off to be quite a morning, hasn't it? Yeah. It's a time of worship, the testimony from Kevin. You know, that's really how church should be. You know, church was and is a community, no different than any other community. Time of praise and worship, time of testimony, time of people opening up their hearts and Tell them about what's going on in their lives. Being off the body. The human body, like the Christian body, is always trying to heal itself. You cut your arm, the body's going to heal itself. Church shouldn't be any different. And so, uh, kind of got my original thought a little bit derailed this morning. Uh, the Lord has a funny way of doing that. And I was really on what Wayne said about when he's going to take the week off that we're preaching next time. The Lord put something in my heart about taking a time of rest. And I've had all of like five minutes to slap this together, so... Uh, but what's interesting about this morning is we've been talking about life and stress and the different things that life has in it that can perish. And on that same note, we've also had the conversation about, you know, taking a time of rest. Look at some of the songs we were singing, you know, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I think that song was for today, because I think each one of us, or at least a lot of us in here, have something going on. Amen. Uh, have something going on that we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus about. Whether it's family stress, financial stress, health stress, life has stress. Life there's just no other way to put it. You can, the Christian and the unsaved will agree with you on this fact that life has stress. Right. And usually a lot of it. And usually when it rains, it pours. Yeah. So it's not good for me. Trouble and stress rarely ever come in light dosages. They usually come, it's usually kind of like when they flip the uh, gallon jar or the big uh, container over on the football coach. That's kind of how life usually stress on you. Yeah. He picks up the thing and just flips it over and goes, let's see what happens. Yeah. And I was just thinking about that this morning and sitting here reading what we sang this morning from this, the uh, hymnal. And really, when you start thinking about it, it goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What's interesting about that is it has to deal with focus. And where are you putting your focus? And that's that's what the Christian life has to be. Something I have to think about. The Christian life is a focused life. You know, people can just nonchalantly go through life. You know, you can't just shut your brain off, go to work, go home, you know, have the kids, have your wife, did it. Life is very routine. And it's very easy to get lulled into this routine state of like, I go to work, I go home, I go to bed, I work, you know. And, you know really, think how many times we all live our life almost in autopilot because we just do the same thing every day. I had to laugh. So when we first moved here to Missouri, I had a really slightly terrifying experience of this just because it involved a motor vehicle. Um, being an autopilot, my wife just <laughs> Nothing bad happened, but just, just the concept of how much we live in autopilot. I got up one morning, 
drove to work, got to work, and tried to think about my drive. And I couldn't remember a single detail about it. Because I really wasn't, I was there when I was driving, I was on the road, it wasn't like I was all on the road or anything. But at the same point, I had done that drive at this point so many times that I literally just, you know, my mind was somewhere else. My dad's a professional driver, he talks about it all the time. When he sees wrecks, or when they have wrecks reported, it always is somebody, their mind is somewhere else. And I was thinking about that. How often does that happen where we, all of a sudden, it's like we look up from our normal day-to-day life and kind of look around and go, how'd I get here? Birthdays are a great time for people on that one. Um, (laughs) Really, like, you sit there and you kind of go, man, I am X number age. How did that happen? Yeah. You know? And the thing about it is is that life is routine and we we get stuck in our routines and then you start throwing the stress on top of it life becomes routinely stressful. That is not good. Routine stress is dangerous because it's bad for your health. It's bad for you mentally. It's just stress and all that is not going to do anybody any good. How often do we set aside a time of rest? And I mean, I can answer this for myself. I'm a guy who likes technology in the American culture. I'm bad at it. I am really bad at it because, and my wife's over there talking, (laughs) because it's so easy. Especially from a technological side, it is 24 hour, 365, all day, every day, something going on. And it never stops, and it never will. It it really, it never will. And there's just so much stuff you can get wrapped up in, and the Lord's been working with me on this personally, there are some things I need to work on cutting out. Not that they're bad, but just that I've got so many things going on that I'm not focusing on the few that are the important things. And in an effort to do all these things, I'm stressing myself out, I'm spreading myself too thin, and I'm not taking time to rest. And while resting, focus on the priorities. It was something uh, my boss actually recently just introduced this to work, and what he said made a lot of sense. He said, we can either do, try to do a bunch of things all at once and get nothing done, or let's pick three things and have them done this week. And I said, you know, I sat there for a minute. We, we, got our, we sat down in our department, we got our list together, and we took off for it. And then he said, and I took that same principle and then applied it not only to our projects as a department, but then applied it to my projects as the person in that department. So then I made a separate list that was... And I thought about what he said, and how true is it of life? We get so busy doing so many things that do we ever really move forward with any of them? Or do we just kind of keep maintaining them, pushing forward? You know, that's that's the thing. Is we get so busy, we have no time for rest. And when you don't rest, you're more susceptible to stress. Think about somebody who's tired. A uh, good example, actually, think about this. When the military is wanting to stress test their guys, some of the other guys here have been to the military, you guys know this. When they want to push you guys and push you until you think you're ready to just roll over and drop over dead, what do they start depriving you of? Sleep. Yeah. You know, I, I have uh, my, one of my uncles was, a, I believe he was a sergeant, drill sergeant, but he used to talk stories about that. You know, 4 o'clock in the morning, they take a trash can, they pull it down the thing, and if you weren't up by the time that trash can hits the other side, drill sergeant's going to come over and personally put you out of bed. 
And that's the thing. They, when you're deprived of rest, you're more susceptible to stress. And when you're not resting, now physically, of course, that's true. We all know that. We've all gone without sleep at some point, and you feel it. But rest isn't just simply physical. There's emotional rest. There's spiritual rest. There's mental rest. You know, sometimes you just, in a way, have to kind of shut your brain off and just stop thinking about everything. And just take some time to just, I guess I kind of say be in the moment and just, you know. The Bible even says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have its own cares. God knew in advance, we are good at stressing. I'm really good at it sometimes. <laughs> but we're good at stressing as people. We, for some reason, especially at just some people live to be stressed. They live to have to have to have something going on that's putting pressure on them to get something done. And they almost purposely get themselves stressed. And to what end? They're gonna still wake up the next morning and be just as stressed. It's not like they're getting it's not like they're stressing on something right now to not have it the next day. You know, sometimes you might. You might work on something a little extra so you don't have to worry about it. But these are, I'm saying, just constantly living in stress. That's dangerous. And I think as Christians and as people, we need to make sure we take time to just rest. But part of resting, no matter what, which way you're resting, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, is you have to get your focus, for one, off of everything. Because everything is stressful. When you try to think about everything at once, it's stressful. When you try to look at everything at once, it's stressful. Don't believe me? Go turn on any, go to any news website and just scroll for a while. Yeah. If you were in a good mood when you started, you won't be by the time you're done. That's right. Really, you know, there's just so much that can happen in this world and stress you out. And that's not how God wanted it. Even God <coughs> He really has no physical limitations. Think about it. God, God has no physical limitations. He, he doesn't have a human body that grows tired. But even he took a day off. On the seventh day, he rested. You know, Genesis 2, 1, and 3. It talks about God resting. And what does God say throughout the Bible? He will give you rest. He will keep you in peace. Because he knows at some point you've got to get to a point where... When you're resting, this is the point I'm trying to use, is you're at peace. And to really rest, you have to be in a state of peace. Whether it's closing your eyes, because when you go to sleep, in theory, you know, you kind of shut off the outside world. You know, I mean, you're in cycle. In a way, you just kind of shut off the outside world. If you're like me, and you sleep hard, you really <coughs> shut off the outside world. Right, Dan? <laughs> and, um, that's the thing is, you have to you have to get to that peaceful state to rest. You know, whether it's spiritually, taking time alone with God. You have to keep your focus back on Him. You have to keep your focus off all the problems. And you see, that's part of this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. What are they telling you? They're telling you, look at it. Look at the answer. In fact, one of the biggest things to fix stress is to find the answer for it. People stress about money. Well, in most people's minds, the answer to stress on money is more money or less bills. So either way, there's an answer. That's what gives people peace, is when there's an answer. 
And so, when you look at God, he says all the time, I mean, there's a list of scriptures here I was looking at, but the theme of them is, look to him for peace. Because he can cover every layer that you have stress in. Whether it's physical stress, emotional stress, of course spiritual stress, any stress, he's got the answer for it. You know, people, everybody's got their method of looking to something. For us, it's turn your eyes upon Jesus. A lot of people, it's turn your eyes upon Jack Daniels. <laughs> really, like, think about it. Everyone has a turn their eyes upon blank. That they look to you for their source. Straight, sorry. <laughs> Just that Jack Daniels thing for me, and now I'm laughing about it more. <laughs> But really, everyone has their turn your eyes upon drugs, turn your eyes upon money, turn your eyes upon success. Everyone has their something that they turn their eyes to to give them peace, to give them rest. The problem is, is that Christ is the only one, or I guess it's not a problem. The problem is, is that all of theirs wear off. You get high, you come off a high. You get drunk, you come off a drunk. And when you be successful, there's also a chance <coughs> success can fall. There's only really one sure source of stress relief and peace in life. And that's why you see people looking for something. I heard one, I can't remember where it was at. I heard somebody make an interesting point. They said, you know why television has gotten so popular? They said people are not looking to be entertained. They're looking to be sedated. Yeah. If you look at people that are, let's say, professional TV watchers, people that just burn I'm talking to the person that turns the TV on at 8 o'clock in the morning and is still running 8 o'clock that evening. Depending on, now this is also depending on content. Because I know some people that put on Christian television, maybe just keep God's word from all day. But I'm talking just typical secular television. What are people looking for when they're watching TV? They do want a value of entertainment, but especially if you start watching stuff, you're just wanting something to fill the time. A lot of people don't do good with silence. Like silence for most people is actually kind of awkward because as a culture, we are so used to a constant barrage of noise. And think about where you get noise from that you might not actually count as normal noise, but it's constantly creating noise in your life. Phones dinging, machine sounding. Uh, like when you have your, uh, your refrigerator, your AC unit. There's a constant production of sound, even if you don't really notice it because it's on lower frequencies than you normally pay attention to. But if you get somebody in a moment, if you ever see something interesting, look at people when they go into soundproof chambers and they test the removal of sound on a human body. A lot of people, it really starts getting to them because as people, we are so used to a huge amount of sound. Look at somebody who lives in a big city. I'm not gonna lie, this was an interesting experience for me. When I went from a town of 600,000 to a town of Woodland Park, Colorado of 8,000, it felt really quiet. Even though I had a highway right out front of our house, I still went from 600,000 people to 8,000. Then, and then I got, then I got married and we ended up moving here and I lived in Fayette, Missouri for, I forgot how long we lived there for, uh, Six months. 
wow, that was quiet. Man, he walked down the porch at night, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> really, like, you hear, you hear a, you know, I remember the first time I heard a cut, I was like, what's that? I'm like, it's just because you're so used to sound. If you walk down your porch and you come to these small tents, it's kind of like, nothing. I remember, I remember having a, a thing one time with Dana and her mom because they were talking about how busy the road was by her house. And I'm like, I'm like, I haven't seen a car on this road for five minutes. What is this? We're on an abandoned road. Like, really? We're, we're, you're so programmed and stuff. It's kind of like when you take, uh, and I'll pick up myself again for a minute, you take somebody's phone away from them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was looking at you when I said that. You take somebody's phone away from them, especially, and think about it, really, and I'll pick up my generation, especially my generation and the one coming after me. We're used to it. This is normal for us. A technological, constantly feeding world is very normal. These kids really, I mean, you know, we talk about how these kids don't know. It's just because that the world they're growing up in. These kids know a world. Sorry, he made me just laugh. <laughs> these kids and myself know a world where technology is right at their fingertips. Their schools have computers. They probably have a phone at a younger age now. They have all these different things. And then you take those away, and all of a sudden, they realize that there's a ton of empty space. Where those took up. Like I guess said again, I, I use technology because it's one that's the most relatable to me. It's like and the I, cartoon that was on Facebook where they gave the kids the rotary phone and they're trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, they never see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is to find this peace and rest, we have to be willing to put stuff down. And it's not always stuff that's bad. It's just stuff that's You've got 24 hours every day. Now, I will say, you know, we all know life is never a guarantee, so understand what I'm saying here in light of that context. But you're guaranteed 24 hours a day here. You know what I mean? Aside from you passing away, there are going to be 24 hours that pass in one day. And the next day, that's going to be the same thing. It will always be a 24-hour slot. The question is, what are we doing instead of 24 hours? And I realized I was watching something one time, and somebody in this video I was watching, they asked, "What do you do with your with your 24 hours?" And they made a comment that they said, "You know, if you look at people that are highly successful, very focused people, a lot of times they can tell you almost by hour what they're doing because they've just got it planned out." Now, I understand life isn't always simple enough to be put like that, especially if you're a mom. You know. Uh, I don't think my mom could ever. My mom was a very planned person. Like, very planned. She had her whole day planned out. She planned out meals in advance. I mean, she had whole stuff. But even then, she had three boys. So. <laughs> so. The schedule always had flexibility in it because she had three boys. Um. And that's the thing is, you know, part of that thing is taking time to spend with God, to spend with children, <coughs> taking time to spend with our families. And again, I'm, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here a little bit because this 
because when we start talking about these words, it's like, Lord, can I put on my heart? Hopefully I'm making some sense out of it. But just as you as you look around at today, this week, this month, and actually now that we're kind of in we're at the start of a new year, this year, look for what kind of places there might be something in your life that's not all bad, but just might need something that'll maybe at least re reprioritize. Maybe there's something that's taking too much priority that something else should have. Because, you know, for me, I know the Lord's been getting on me, and especially since, I would say, since I've helped you know, pastor here, especially if I hear about this, is that I've, I've recently we've been having a lot going on, I haven't been in my word as much. That was something the Lord started getting on me was, you know, you can't help if you're not spending time. So, where are these places, especially in this line of time, to, I'll try to do a little bit of what I was bringing in this chapter there. Where are the places, Christians, that we need to put priority back on God so that way when he calls us to do something for people, we're ready. You can't give what you don't have. This is going to tie into the second. It's going to flow right into what I was teaching on Timothy on today. But you can't give what you don't have. If you don't have something in you, it can't come out of you. You see, a seed is a good example of that. A seed will produce after its own kind. You can't put corn in the ground and expect string beans. You can't put stuff into your heart that's one thing and expect another to come out. You can't put nothing in and expect something to come out. If you were a farmer and you put nothing in the ground and then went out with your plow or with your, um, gosh, it's crude, but I don't know farming. <laughs> and went out with your harvesters and stuff, at harvest time, you're going to be sorely disappointed to find a lot of dirt and no plants. Because you have to put something in for something to come back out. Whether it's you know spiritual, like putting God's word in and then you share it with people, or take a skill. You have to plant time into stuff to see a result of it. People that play for you know, piano just made People who play professional piano, they had to sit down and take the time to learn it. It didn't just, I mean, yes, we have projects, but even then, they spend, they plan hours and months into their life into what they're doing. As Christians, we have to be the same way. We need to plant God's word in our hearts so deeply so that way when when we're called upon whether it's somebody just saying, hey, why do you believe what you believe? Or it's God asking you to pray for somebody. You have something to come out of that. They used to drill us on that at school. That you can't survive in ministry if you don't intake as well as share. They said that's what causes pastoral burnout. If a pastor or if a leader, heck, I can even say this in the family you as the leader of whatever you're doing are not taking time to take care of you and make sure you're fed spiritually and you're healthy spiritually, then your congregation or your family will suffer for it. Because they're going to rely on your output. And so that's what happens in churches. 
And not even saying the pastor's doing it like maliciously. He might just be busy. And that's why, you know, I, I like the fact that Wayne asks me to share once in a while. I ask Dan to share. You know what? Pastors need a break. Leaders need a break. That, that's the whole point of why did Jesus have 12 disciples? So he didn't have to do it all. Exactly. He had time then to rest and be with the Father. Going back to that rest thing. And as we look, um, and actually this is what I was really going to share on. If we look over at Mark for a second, Mark chapter 4, you guys might go over there. It's the parable of the sower, which is not at all is uncommon to hear in churches. This is a pretty common sermon for churches. But I hope today, just to kind of share a little bit, and hopefully won't keep you guys. I was thinking three or four would be late enough, but um, Chiefs you know, play today. What'd you say? Chiefs play today, so hope you feel. What time's the game start? All right, so Bruce, let's, all right, Bruce, Two. let's talk about that priority thing. Yeah. Bruce yeah. apparently yeah. missed the first part of the message. Start again. Okay, guys, we have to start the sermon all over again. Some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. 
he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I'm sure this isn't the first time somebody's talked to this, talked to you about this. And again, this is a very, very common section of scripture people speak about. But obviously it's interesting just to look at, and I like to always go back to it because you really think about the four different types of ground. You know, the first one was it fell by the wayside. Just instantly, you know. The seed was planted and it was gone. There was nothing happened. And you know, that happens a lot to people. You might share something with somebody about God and it just falls on deaf ears. You tell them, okay, whatever, and nothing ever becomes of it again. But then you get to the next person. Some fell on stony ground, or sorry, yeah, some fell on stony ground, and it immediately sprang up because it had no depth of earth, but when the sun came out, it withered and died. That's somebody who gets excited about church for a second. You know, somebody might have an experience with God, and, and genuinely, they have an experience with God for a minute, and they just instantly just, like, one good example is someone that gets saved and instantly put into a position of leadership in the church. Something springs them up very quickly, like a plant with very little dirt in it. But the problem is, is that they don't have the roots to handle the pressure. All of a sudden, the sun comes out, and they're gone. There have been several times, and I can't remember who it was in the story. One of our instructors at school talked about some guy that came on the 700 Club back in the day. And it was that way. He got saved because he was somebody famous. He all of a sudden was all over television. They were bringing him on his talk show. Spiritually, he was not at a place to have any opinion, in a sense, in the gospel. Other than share his testimony. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would say any good position, even for a new believer, is sharing your testimony. Tell people what God did in your life. But you don't want a new believer really doing a lot of, like, core theology teaching. You know what I'm saying? Because they're just figuring out it for themselves, too. So this part, so this kind of seed springs up, but can't handle the pressure of the sun, the rain, whatever, and immediately dies. Then it talks about the next section. Thorns grow up. This is where I was kind of saying this can tie back to our sermon, my sermon a second ago. On the rest was, what are the thorns? I think in one part it talks about the cares of this life. So what happened to the plant? The plant was in what sounds like decent ground. It was growing. It didn't talk about anything other wrong with the ground other than the ground had thorns. So all of a sudden this plant is growing. But alongside it is growing thorns. And those thorns, after a while, consume the plant. It gets overpowered. And that's what happens to people a lot. And whenever you see, like, for example, maybe a minister fall or some leader fall or, or some type of a falling out at a church, there were thorns that got involved. Right? Whether it was offense, whether it was lust, whether it was greed. Um, I had an instructor in class. Uh, he taught a sermon called Gold, Gals, and Glory. And it was essentially kind of like talking about the topic of the three things that can uh, kill a minister. And that's what we're talking about. But there are things besides those that can creep up. Even life stress. If you don't take life to the cross and take your problems to the cross, they can become thorns. And those thorns can wrap around choke it out. I mean, you think about, okay, so we got the like, crown of thorns. we think about that. Over time, they just entangle the plant, become part of it growing. The plant is still growing while the process is happening, but then at one point, it just all of a sudden chokes it out. It's over. And 
actually, uh, me and Daniel were talking about this this morning. It's interesting being married to another pastor because Sunday morning conversation is always interesting, especially when one of us is preaching because the other one will start throwing kind of some things in there. And and, um, she was talking about, I don't remember what she said. Now that I think you told me, you were talking about, oh, tending. You have to tend your heart. You know, he was, she was talking about that, how he said, you know, you have to tend your heart. Gardening is a process. If you only view gardening as a one-time experience, your garden is in trouble. Yeah. Um, I can think of somebody I know that uh, they started a garden, and it started out good, but then over time it didn't get tended like it should have. And by the time it was harvest time, they didn't get anywhere near the amount of crop because stuff had grown up and it choked out. That sounds like Johnny is the weed eater in the garden. I'm like, you can't do that. Yeah, no, that's. Oh, I don't have a scripture. That was the first time we had a garden. I said, you don't need the weed eater in the garden. I don't have a scripture on that. Oh, what would that be like? Yeah, take the weed eater to the garden. Um, but you have to tend it. And your life and your heart is the same way. If you ever do a health check on yourself spiritually, emotionally, physically, over time, it will become overgrown. And that's why, God, like in that song, go back to you, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get focused, <coughs> get focused back on him, and then look at yourself and go, what needs what needs taken care of? If you ever look at anything that is not tended, it will return to a state of decay. And I can't remember what rule of some scientific rule that talks about everything is. I think it's. I want to say that I thought it was like the second law of thermodynamics or something like that. But there's some law in science that says everything is going from a state of order to chaos. Take a look at anything that is left unchanged. <coughs> Always joke because every time I. Uh, Jeff Fox was he made a joke about this. About uh, if you cut your grass and find several cars, you might be a redneck. <laughs> and I was thinking about though, is you know, you see people who have if you think about it, you see people who have cars, and I have friends who are guilty of this as well. If anyone does this, I'm not picking on you, just just a thought though. Is you might have a car that you want to work on, but if you never work on it and it just sits there. What will happen to that car over time? It will deteriorate. And that's where you see, um, we were actually driving here today, and along the road I noticed there was this building off to the side of the highway, and it's this little shack, but it was broken down. And all I could think of was, I wonder what that was before. I said, it doesn't look like a barn, it almost looks like a booth, like you would sell tickets out of. And I just kind of wondered, I wonder what that was like. But think about that. If you leave something untended, it will become over, it will overgrow and become decayed. And that's what happens in life, too, is if we don't tend our garden, then seeds, and especially bad ones, that might get planted, will overgrow and choke out the other ones. See, the hard part about the human heart versus any other garden is that somebody else is always planting seeds. It'd be like if you could, if there was such an analogy as one farmer trying to plant crops and the other farmers, I guess maybe probably a competitor of theirs, It'd be like somebody else coming by and planting thorns every once in a while. You're trying to grow a garden, and somebody else doesn't want it to grow. 
So what are they going to do? They're going to go quietly and just kind of break the thorns around and just let them do their thing. And if you never tended your garden, what would happen? Thorns grow up, fill off the garden. So the human heart, people are constantly planting things into your life. Some good, some not. And the question is, if you're not tending your garden, how do you know what's growing in there? <coughs> if you only went out, planted seeds, and then your neighbors came out and planted seeds, and you never went out back to that garden to see what was going on, you would have no idea what's happening there. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us. We have no idea what state we're really in. It's because we don't take time to really garden and examine our heart. And then all of a sudden, life hits and we choke. Why? Because the thorns grew up. Those thorns grew up inside of us, and life hits us like a train, like it usually does. And all of a sudden, we go try to pull on the seeds we planted, the good ones, and they're not there. They're not there. They're just simply gone. Because we haven't taken time to tend them. Think how many Christians, for example. If you ask them, something goes wrong. We were watching uh, Jeremy Pearson's. And uh, he was talking about how his his wife apparently had this moment where he, his wife was talking to her mother, and, and just for context, Jeremy Pearson's, if any of you don't know, is Kenneth Copeland's grandson. And he said something really interesting. I've started watching a little bit of his stuff. He said something really interesting. He said if his wife was on the phone with her mom, and they're both Christian background, and, her, and she was telling her mom about stress that, you know, uh, stress that was going on with her, and she said, "What scripture do you have to come at it with? Where, you, what, what scripture are you come at it with?" And she got a little frustrated with her. Apparently, went to Jeremy, and Jeremy turned around and said, "Well, yeah, what scripture do you have?" You know, she couldn't. But think about that. How many times do we not have something in God's Word to take on what's happened in life because we just don't, we haven't taken the time to put it in us? And, and I know this isn't probably much of a fun sermon, but it's just one that's I've been chewing on for a long time. I've kind of had this sermon in the back of my mind for months now. And it's just, what are we doing to tend the garden of our heart? So that way, not only do we get to reap the benefits of it, but part of a garden is for it to be shared. You know, a farmer will very rarely just keep his crops for himself. Somebody else benefits from As Christians, if we maintain the garden of our heart, then when others need to make a hole from it, there's something to give them. And I think that's what hurts a lot of the church sometimes, is whether it's people within the church needing help from others within the church, or somebody outside needing help from the church. They go to pull on the church, and the church hasn't tended its garden, and there's nothing to give other than dirt and thorns. Put this to get this. But, I don't know, this is just what was on my heart today. I would just say, it's really, again, still didn't quite go the direction I thought it was, but praise God. Take time to focus on God, rest in His Word, so that when, as the garden of your heart grows, and the seeds you've planted in there continue to grow, when it comes time to harvest, when you need to pull on it, <coughs> the garden is healthy. Yeah. 
fun. Because a healthy garden can then produce 60, 30, 60, and 100 points. A thorned up, dead garden produces nothing but dust. And I think the nice thing here about this church that I like is I think there are a lot of people here who are trying to actually do that. Not that any of us do this perfectly. I said there's stuff worth working with me on right now that he's like, you got to cut this out. you got to change some things. Because you're just too focused on too much and you're not tending the garden. You know, don't build a garden so big you can't tend it. But, you know, if, you, if you've only got a shovel and a little hand-powered, you know, hoe to do, you probably should not do 400 acres. You probably should not run the largest garden in your county if that's all you got. But what you can run is a really, really good smaller garden. Kind of like my boss is going back there. I never thought I'd quote my boss in a sermon. I don't think he'd ever think I'd quote him in a sermon either. But like he was saying, instead of us trying to do a bunch of things and getting nothing done, let's get a few things nailed down, do those, get those done, and then let's add some things. After we've got those set. And I went, that is, I don't think my boss would say this. Or I, I don't know, but never brought up anything that makes me think it. But man, that was powerful. I actually kind of had to sit there when he talked about that. I went, that's good. Let's do a few things really, really well. Yeah. Once we've got those things set in place, and they're working, and they're running, and we're not happy, and we're kind of got them in a maintenance mode, then let's add something else on it. But not until, otherwise we are going to completely get, because we're going to get nothing done if we try to do everything. And so, I would just say, you know, how do we close it here? In your heart, take time in the Word. Take time to pay attention to what seeds you're planting and others are planting. And then fix the time to reprioritize a little bit. Life will give you plenty of opportunities to do a lot of stuff. But at the time, you may only need to do one. You know, we can't do everything. And I think that's partly what makes the church such a great thing. As a collective, we can do more than as one separate individual. That's the beauty of community. As a community, we can do more together than one can do alone. So, kind of wrapping up what I have for you guys today. Um, I'd just like to pray for you guys. Um, so I'm waiting back up here. Father, we lift up to you today our hearts, the gardens of our hearts. Lord, I would ask that you would help us to take some time to rest in you and to get focused on where our garden is at. To reprioritize what is important what is not, that we have time to tend our garden so that it grows a healthy crop. Father, I thank you as well that we take time to focus back on you and not let the stress and the burdens of life engulf us. Thorns are constantly trying to grow up in our garden. I just ask, Lord, that you're helping us to identify those thorns and take them. Thank you.
And I thank you, Lord, that you go into each member of our congregation today. As they go out, they will, you will speak to them from what I've shared today. And that something said will touch them. And all those who watch this online, that something would just hit them at a heart level and bring them closer to you. Thank you, Lord, for all this. just tell you right up front what I spoke on today actually was a carryover from yesterday. It's talking about getting our lives set from what God wants, not what we want. And there was a whole uh, now, we started at 8.30 and we got out about 3.30 or 4 yesterday. We had a now, when you try to get 1,400 men fed within 30 minutes, from the time you're trying to get out of your seat, get your food, and go outside, now that'll cool you off yesterday. Round to another building and fill up this auditorium and get back within 30 minutes. That's a pretty good rush. But their focus was on men yesterday and how to appreciate your wife. We had some powerful speakers there yesterday. I was thinking here, sitting here, and Zach was talking about things. Valentine's Day is coming up. And this is one, one thing that they said to men. That if you buy your wife roses or flowers, so what you do is you make sure you send them to her for other women around. <laughs> Think about it. So otherwise, you send them to the house, she gets them, puts them on the table, and that's it. But if she gets them at work or other people, other women around, the other women's gonna notice that she's getting flyers and other people were involved in it. Think about that. This one pastor, he was saying about his wife, she had a, a real bad spell, and he was had three boys, she was in the hospital, and the day that, that her sickness started, and he gives a breakdown of how many days and stuff, that he didn't get to see her at the hospital because he had three little boys, take care of the boys, kids work, and all that, and he couldn't get to the hospital to see her. He talked to her on the phone a little bit, but back for visit. So he said, just Valentine's Day, he said, this is what happened. He said, I go to the, to the hospital and the place that they sell flyers and all that, all the flyers are gone except for two ugly yellow flyers. He saw I get two ugly yellow flyers. And go up to see my wife and said, as I was going to her room to see her, she knew he was coming. She came out. He said, we spent Valentine's Day sitting on a bench in the hospital, holding hands. She said, 
them two ugly flyers meant more to her than a dozen roses. So he said, our Valentine's Day, all the plans we had to go out on the Valentine's, ended up in a hospital, sitting in a bench, holding hands, and saying hi to people as they walk by and talking to each other. So it's, it's the, the little things. And then it got to talk about how many in the Song of Solomon, we're talking about the little foxes coming into your marriage. How many how many's read Song of Solomon? Okay. Maybe maybe Zach Wolf had to visit that song. Wayne. Yeah. I sent you said Lois came when she worked roses. Yeah. Flowers. So one time I sent her some flowers and she'd come home and she generally she she'd bring them home, you know. And, and uh she come home, she didn't have flowers. I waited a little while. I said, Hey, did you get any flowers today? No. Well come find out they sent them to a different Larry Miller or Lois in Columbia. <laughs> and she probably wondered <laughs> she might ask her husband if yeah. she's married. Did you send me flowers? No. Well, who's sending you flowers? <laughs> no, he probably said, yes, I did. Did you like them? Yeah, if he's smart, he'd say, yes, I did. <laughs> Kevin always brings them to me. He brings yeah, them to yeah. me about once a month. He brings them to me. Yeah. And I'll get a call that your husband's at the front desk, and my whole staff will go, what did he do now? And you know what she always says? What am I supposed to do with these? There ain't no base. He, he brings me grocery store daisies wrapped in paper. <laughs> and she likes them yellow daisies. I took her roses. She said, I don't like them. I like the yellow daisies. I was buying the flyer for Judy. I buy roses and stuff. And uh, this is years ago. And this is what she said to me. You, now, you want to kill love your husband has for a wife. She said, I'd rather have the money. <laughs> Forget the flowers, give me the money. So no more flowers. And very little money. I don't feel that way. Keep them coming. But, you know, I mean, that honestly, stop thinking about that. You tell your husband that, what's he going to think? First of all, he had to go out and wait some. Sometimes you get a call and you go have to go get them. But the little fox, that's what it's talking about in, in Solomon. Solomon, my goodness. Uh, if you haven't taken it, that's a love story. The Song of Solomon is a, a woman and a husband's love for each other. And some of the text, uh, words in it, you know, is like her, her teeth are like, what, lambs or sheep or something like that. And, uh, well, I would say some other things. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little, little grown-up type stuff. But, all right, Valentine's Day is coming up. Anyway, just just think about how much the person you have as a husband or wife means to you. And what they have done for you. This morning, when Judy and I hold hands praying, I could not pray. Started to, couldn't. So Judy took over praying for me, for us. Because I was crying, and she was praying. 
don't be ashamed of it. Hold hands and pray with your spouse. The Lord's word kind of says this in, in a sense. A house, a husband and wife who pray together, stay together. If you don't do that, the foxes come in to your wed, uh, to your marriage. And the little foxes, which can be things like you talked about, all the stuff, comes in and destroys a marriage. And that happens. We are, we are busy, in a sense. Got more convenience than everything. But Judy just told me our washing machine's messed up. <laughs> All right, prayer request.